And today, in the book of Nehemiah, we turn to the 13th chapter, which is the final section of the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to spend several weeks here. And I want us to think about what Nehemiah struggles with, which is that the people of God are to be called out or separated from the world. And that's the first step in this whole mission process that God has called us to. And so there's three points. You see them in your sermon outline. I want you to follow along. There's scripture on the back. Point number one, you are called out of the world. Point number two, see the great reversal in Jesus Christ because now the nations are not cut off, but the nations come in to the covenant community. And so the challenge comes to the church in point number three. Keep yourself free from worldliness, but love your friends in the world and welcome them into the body of Christ. So turn to Nehemiah chapter 13. And to set the context, uh, we are told later on in chapter 13 that we are now in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes. What does that mean to you? (laughs) Well, that's how you date what's going on in the Old Testament by these uh, emperors' uh, dates of uh, kingship. And so it's the 32nd year of Artaxerxes. Nehemiah came to Judah in the 20th year, so we started our study 12 years ago. Nehemiah has been the governor there for 12 years, and then he asks, we are told in verse 5, to go back to, to Persia. And now, it says, sometime later, sometime later, that's now, and Nehemiah begins his second stint as governor of Judah and the leader of Jerusalem, okay, in the uh, 32nd year of King Artaxerxes. And I think they calculate that to about 420 B.C. And we read verses 1 through 3. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Amorite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those who were of foreign descent. So far, the reading of God's Word. So now Nehemiah comes back, and you remember chapters 10, 11, and 12. What an amazing revival, right? The covenant renewal, the people commit themselves again to the covenant made with Moses. All that is written in the book of the law, we will do. And boy, did they have a party. And they, they meant it when they made that promise. They meant it. And then Nehemiah goes back to Persia. And the years pass, and we don't know how many years. James Boyce says it might have even been 12 or 20 years. And Nehemiah comes back, and the people have begun to drift. And oh, how easy it is to drift in our spiritual life, isn't it? Am I the only one? They started this gradual downward slope of compromise with the world. And there were the Amorites, and there were the Moabites, and the Canaanites, and the Stalactites, and all those, all those people. 
and they had just sort of become again like the people of the world. And so Nehemiah comes back, and they're indistinguishable from the nations around them. They look just like the world. Why is this such a a problem? It's because God's people are to be distinct, separate from the world. And if they are, as God warned them again and again, as He warned them, if, you be, if you're hanging out with the people of the world, if you're intermarrying with the people of the world, if you're mingling and being like the people of the world, you cease to be holy. And He told them this would happen. And so God set up boundaries. Do you remember the book of Deuteronomy? He set up boundaries on the eve of their entrance into the promised land. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, we read, and I'm going to read the whole thing because it's uh, just uh, from uh, verses 1 through 3. As he talks about who's not allowed inside the, the place of worship. It's really interesting. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord. Who are these Ammonites and Moabites? Well, if I had time, I'd take you back to Genesis, and you could read that strange story of Lot. Remember Abraham's nephew? And Lot and his daughters are hiding in the caves outside of Zoar. It's kind of sense like they're the only people left, and there's this this strange and incestuous and sinful relationship, and, and Lot fathers two sons through his daughters. And what are their names? Ammon and Moab. And they're related to Israel, but it turns out that they become nations who are always fighting against Israel, always trying to corrupt them and draw them into their gods. And they won't help Israel as she struggles on her way out of Egypt. And they want to corrupt and pollute the people of God. And so by the time the exile is over and, and, uh, and Ezra comes back, it's a real problem. The, the, the Jewish people have become just like the people around them. And then 20 years later, Nehemiah comes. And at the beginning, it's a real problem. And now Nehemiah comes back. And again, they have begun to just be like the people of the world around them. What do we learn from this? Does God, does God want to separate His people his people from those nations because he's a racist? Is that what it is? God just doesn't like people of other races? You know better than that. You know better than that. The problem is not their ethnicity. The problem is their activity. It is what they do. Their degrading and sinful practices uh, now uh, corrupt Israel as she intermingles with and, and intermarries with the, the unbelieving peoples around them so that Ezra says from one end of the land to the other, Ezra 9, it says their abominations fill the land. 
And so here's what we learn. We learn that separation is for the purpose of consecration. Or maybe you would choose the word sanctification. But you are to be separate from the world, not because you're better than the world or not because God is a racist, but because He is consecrating you. He is sanctifying you. He is setting you apart as His own treasured possession. It's all through the Bible. Do you see it there? Separation for the purpose of consecration, set apart for His purposes. Now, how do, how do I explain this? Well, Ray Romano in his comedy routine, he talks about in his boyhood down here in, in Long Island, and he says that they had a china cabinet in their dining room, and there was a special set of china, plates and cups and saucers that they never ate from. And he would say, Ma, Ma, how come we never eat from those plates? Let's eat from those plates. She says, those are special. He says, Ma, when are we ever going to eat from those plates? Let's eat from them tonight. And he said, I thought she, she was going to have a stroke. She says, that's for something special. And he says, special like what? And his mother rose up and she said, you never know when the Pope is going to come for dinner. <laughs> Those plates are special, set apart for holy purpose. And so are you. You are called out of the world, special, treasured to be God's holy people. Separation for the purpose of consecration. And the New Testament teaches this. You see that I have put on the back of your outline Paul's letter to the, to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6. And it's very, very striking. Listen to what he says. Do not be unequally yoked to unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Who's Belial? It's Baal. It's the devil. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, Go out from their midst and be separate from them. You see, there it is, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So, what is it that corrupts the church? What is it that pollutes the Christian? Well, in my life, it's two things. And I suspect it's true in your life. First, that corruption, that pollution comes from within. And there's to be a separation from sin inside my own life. My flesh is at war against me as someone to be holy before the Lord. And Jesus talks about separation. He talks about separation in very graphic ways. He talks about separation from sin. How? Remember in our study on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, what should you do? Separate it. <laughs> he says, chop it off. 
If your eye causes you to sin, what should you do? You get that melon ball scooper out. And you scoop out your eye. And you cut it off. You separate from it. Why? Because sin corrupts you. Sin pollutes you. What is it in my life? What is it in your life that you've drifted into? You see, we drift just like this, like the Jews did. They drifted into compromise with sin. This touch no unclean thing. That used to mean in the Old Covenant, don't touch anything that made you ceremonial unclean. But now Paul is applying it to wickedness and, and uh, unrighteousness, you see. And that's the fulfillment of that. It doesn't matter what kind of pot you touch anymore. It's what your eye sees, what your hand does, what your mind thinks. And where that is sinful, he says, separate. Deal with it. Don't give your heart to what is evil. It wants to marry you. Sin wants to marry you. You have to divorce it. But that's not the only thing that corrupts me. It's not just from the inside. It's from the outside, too, that we struggle. And the people of Israel were not to mingle with the nations of the, of, of, around them. And the New Testament says, in the passage I just read, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There it is. Listen. Listen to me carefully, especially the children and the teenagers. You become like the people you hang out with. You do. You start to dress like them. You start to talk like them. You pick up the words that they use, and, and you start to think like they do. You pick up their accent. To the teenagers, the young people, why do you think your parents are so concerned about who you choose as your friends? They really worry about it. Why? Because they know that you're going to become like your peers, like the people you hang out with. And if you say, oh no, I'm going to lead them, well, I hope you do. I, I love the fact that the young people in our church are leaders in their community, and that's fantastic, and it should be. But beware, don't be fooled. You become like the people you hang out with. And that happened to Israel. And they became like the Ammonites, and they became like the Moabites. This is why Christian fellowship is so important. Christian friendships are so wonderful. It really does make a difference. So, covenant people are to be separate from the world. And I'll tell you one more very sobering thing, and I need to say this, because the church often fails to say this, that the separation of the covenant people out of the world also foreshadows the judgment day. And you need to know this and remember this, that there is a great separation coming at the end of the age when Jesus Christ returns. And we are told that the sheep will be divided from the goats, that God's covenant people will, will be ushered into heaven. Their passport will carry them into heaven. That is Christ will welcome them into the presence of God, but the wicked shall be cast off into the outer darkness. I, I have to tell you, that's what the Bible teaches. And so separation is very profound right at that point as well. Oh, friends, 
We are so privileged in this church. I look around this room and I know the stories of the people who have been called out of certain lifestyles. Some of those lifestyles you've been called out of here in this room, they're very obvious. They were technicolor, you know. And we have people, members of our church, who've been called out of a life of crime. We have people who've been called out of sexual immorality, heterosexual immorality, homosexual lifestyle, and they've been called out and into the body of Christ. Whoa, we're a healing community, God willing for them. We have people who've been called out of all kinds of alcoholism and narcotics addiction, and Jesus is setting them free, has set them free. How wonderful is this? Those are the technicolor ones, but you know, probably the person sitting next to you was not a criminal or, or something like that, but, but God called them out of a life of arrogance and gave them humility, Right? God called them out of a life of racial prejudice and hatred of someone of a different skin color. You never saw that outside, but inside their hearts. And God set them free to love someone whose skin color was different from them. God came to someone here in, in this church uh, uh, when they were trapped, you see, in despair and unbelief. And He called them into a life of hope. That's who we are, church. Separated from the old ways. And so, we see point number two. There is a great reversal in Jesus Christ. For now the nations that were excluded and cut off are welcomed into the covenant community. Oh, they're called to repent of their sins, to leave their old lifestyle behind them, but it's not on the basis of their skin color or, or their ethnicity that they were once cut off. Now, whatever your skin color, whatever your ethnic background, Jesus says, come. My favorite of the many New Testament examples is found in Acts chapter 8. Do you know the story at the end of Acts 8 of the Ethiopian eunuch? And we read that passage back uh, from Deuteronomy. Uh, because here's this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, who has two strikes against him, right? First of all, he's been emasculated. And what did Deuteronomy 23 say? Can't come into the house of the Lord like that. And then he's a foreigner. He's an Ethiopian. Strike two, can't come into the house of the Lord like that. And he's out in the desert, and he has the Hebrew Scriptures in front of him, and he's reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Do you remember that? And it says, there's one who was pierced for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed. I wonder what it's talking about. And lo and behold, Philip comes along, and Philip, the deacon, he says to Philip, explain this to me, and Philip does. And who does Philip tell him about? He tells him about Jesus who was pierced on the cross for his transgressions. And by the stripes of Jesus, he says to this Ethiopian, you are healed. And the Ethiopian, be Ethiopian believes. And he takes upon himself the sign of the covenant. He's baptized there in the desert. And they pour the water over his head and he's entered into the covenant community. And there he is, 
a Christian. Welcome, welcome, Ethiopian. Welcome, eunuch, into the family of God. And you see that the prophet Isaiah that Tony read from this morning, the prophet Isaiah said this shocking prophecy that we heard from from Isaiah 56, that there was a day coming. Let not the foreigner, this is Isaiah 53 or 56, I'll read part of it. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Wow. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. And this means those who are brought into the covenant community. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. See, they won't be separated now, those foreigners and those eunuchs. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Why? For my house, says the Lord, shall be called a house of prayer for who? For all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him beside those already gathered. And now I ask you, how does this reversal happen? Those who are cut off, no longer cut off, I'll tell you how. It happens because of one who was cut off for one who was sent away and excluded from the very presence of God. Who is that? For the true Israel who did what Israel always failed to do. Who is that? Jesus Christ came into the world and He lived the life we should have lived and He died the death that we should have died and He has been cut off and cast away for my sins, for your sins. And we read these amazing words in Revelation 5, verse 9. And we are told, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and here it is, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, Jesus was separated from God so that the pagans and the Gentiles, you and I, our friends, our family members, might be drawn in. And he makes us clean by his blood. And if that is so, now point number three rests on us wonderfully, rests on us heavily. This is where it's heading. You see the title of my sermon this morning. It says, separate from the nations for the nations. And now we are told, yes, we are separate. We're to be consecrated, sanctified from our sin and from the sins of the world around us. But we are set apart in order to go back into the world. That's what the Luzon Covenant said this morning. Sent to go back into the world as his ambassadors. So, since you've been called out of the world, does that mean you should no longer have any Christian friends? Is that what it means? You know, some people think that. The church, some, there used to be the hermits. Does anyone know who the hermits are? That, that was the guy who went and lived in the cave. 
or the people who lived in the cloister or the convent or the commune. Do we have any children of the 60s here who lived in a commune? And what was a commune? Well, we'll just go be little group of Christians by ourselves and never talk to any of those bad people out there. Is that what he says? You know it's not. No. Church, you are set apart from the world in order to go back into the world and be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth to your neighbors where you live and to your colleagues where you work and to your classmates where you go to school and and to your clubs where you play. Whatever it is, you are called to go in there. Oh, guard your heart. Sure, guard your heart. Don't be like them. You have to be careful as you go. Francis Schaeffer says that it's always so interesting to watch the church and the world. Here's the Here's the morality of the church, and here's the, mora- uh, yeah, and here's the morality of the world, right? And Schaefer says you watch the morality of the world get worse and worse and worse, and what happens to the level of morality of the church so often? Well, it sort of follows along and just has slouches down towards Sodom too. Now, we, have to, we have to be diligent and vigilant, guarding ourselves, doing that radical surgery, but... Keep yourself from worldliness in order to go back into the world and be his witness. After all, Abraham was told, you shall be for a blessing to the nations. And Israel was told, you'll be a light to the Gentiles. Now, in the new covenant, it's, it's like a spotlight turned on. Shine, shine for Christ wherever you are. I know. It's not easy. It takes courage. It takes courage to be a witness. Some of us have to get outside our comfort zone. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It takes courage to come out of your secret service of the Lord and learn how to naturally and wonderfully invite others to come to Jesus. But you know what? After he was raised from the dead, in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus appears to his disciples. Just imagine him coming in here. And he says, my peace I give you. As the Father sent me into the world, so I am sending you. And then what did Jesus do? Does anyone know? It says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, the sweetest breath that ever came out of a human body. That ever came out of a mouth, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. You, Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You do. So have courage. Trust him. Stand up. Don't be ashamed of your Jesus. You live for him. I'm going to just challenge you with two things. This week, Ask God to show you one thing you need to separate from in your life. He might show you more. But would you agree, God brought you here this morning, you need to hear this message. So what's one thing where you've been slouching, compromising? Just one. And hear him say, let's, deal, let's do some business with this, okay? I don't know what it is in your life. Ask him to show you. Say to him, purify my heart. 
like they refine silver, like they refine gold. Here's my heart. Okay, will you do that one thing? And then, this week, would you ask him for one person to touch, to speak to, just one, about your faith in the Lord and the opportunity that God gives you divinely to welcome and to witness for him? You know, I've been watching uh, my wife with women in Oyster Bay right here in town. And she has stepped out into the world of a number of women here in Oyster Bay who are, who are radical, left-wing, atheist, New York cynics, okay? You got the picture? Can I stereotype it? Do you want me to tell you how they chew their gum? You know, it's... And I ran into one of them here in town. And she came up to me and she said, you're that pastor. And I thought she was going to talk to me about, you know, she'd heard great things about our ministry, right? This woman says, I have to tell you, I love your wife. I just can't wait to see her and the conversations that we have. And she got her husband. She says, you've got to meet. This is Nina's husband. Honey, is that the first time it's ever happened like that, you see? Usually this is John's wife, but no, this is Nina's husband. What's going on? You see, she's become a light in the lives of these women. Now, what about you? Who is it that God has appointed for you to meet this week? We're going to now sing two songs as prayers to the Lord. So let's bow our heads in prayer. I invite the musicians to come up. And let's invite the Lord to consecrate us, to separate us, yes, to cleanse us in this world as vessels that he wants to use. And then let's celebrate the nations that are coming to him and invite him to use us to fill up his church, the whole church, bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, we pray that you will purify our hearts. And we invite you now to start to put your finger on one thing, one thing of compromise in our life. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but it's an enemy of the cross of Christ. And our citizenship is in heaven, Lord, so we shouldn't be with the Ammonites and the Moabites and their detestable practices and ways of thinking or speaking. Oh, Lord, Show me one thing, and then next week you can do another. We also pray that you will give us one divine appointment, one person to reach, to bless, to encourage, to shine your light to. Purify my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.